0: Hi, this is Mary Taylor of the Cape Cod Museum Trail. Today we are joined by Connie Marigo, President and Executive Director of the National Marine Life Center located in Buzzards Bay, Massachusetts. Connie joined the Marine Life Center this year. The National Marine Life Center is an independent nonprofit organization. They rehabilitate and release stranded marine mammals and sea turtles in order to advance science and education and marine wildlife health and conservation. Hi, and now we are welcoming Connie from the National Marine Life Center, who's going to let us know some background about the center. Welcome, Connie.
1: Hi, thanks for having me today.
0: Thanks for coming. And could you tell us a little bit about the National Marine Life Center and what is happening there in Buzzards Bay?
1: Sure. The National Marine Life Center is a nonprofit organization, and we focus on uh, the rehabilitation of stranded and injured endangered sea turtles and stranded and injured seals we also have programs uh, we're involved with the head start program for endangered uh, red belly cooters and also the uh, diamondback terrapins which if you're a cape coder you hear a lot about all of those species
0: and so tell us about you and how when and when you joined the center and tell us a little bit about your background
1: I'm very new to the National Marine Life Center here. I started in uh, mid-June and, uh, sorry, uh, mid-May, I think. Yeah, I started in mid-May. And uh, I spent 27 years of my career at the New England Aquarium as the director of uh, rescue and rehab. We had a center there uh, back when I started in the early days. We rehabilitated uh, stranded dolphins corpus five different species of seals and uh, sea turtles and not only cold sun sea turtles but we worked on leatherback sea turtles as well and those are the giant they're the size of like a Volkswagen wagon bug uh, that they frequent Cape Cod and the surrounding waters so uh, I worked there for again 27 years and, it, you know, I did a lot, everything from the, the actual rehab itself. And then in later years, more of the um, financial and budgeting, uh, excuse me, um, fundraising, working with donors, writing applications to raise money to take care of the animals and to advance research and conservation aspects of the program. And then I saw that the position here opened up and, um, the Marine Life Center has been fairly small for a number of years, and I saw an opportunity to maybe come here and try to help. We'd like to uh, move the National Marine Life Center into uh, the next phase and advance the conservation missions, um, And that was very attractive to me.
0: And so what are your plans to advance it? Do you have ideas now?
1: I do have ideas for advancement. Um, there's a lot of space inside the hospital here and uh, that's that's yet to be developed and so we do have some uh, deferred maintenance that we need to address first but then I would like to advance the uh, final build out the next phase of the build out of the hospital so when you go into the hospital there certainly are areas that are built out we've been using those to rehabilitate uh, seals and sea turtles but there's a whole nother level of the hospital that's sitting empty waiting to be built out. So that's where we would put additional tanks and the plumbing for those tanks and build decking around so that you could walk around the animals that are in the tanks. Um, and it's, it's a space that's really needed. So I think we all know the sea turtle uh, cold stunning events annually have been getting larger and larger in every year for the past 10 years, those events break the new top five. And so last year was another record year for cold sun sea turtles. And a lot of these turtles have to be shipped out, flown to other organizations within days of coming off the beach. If we had more space right here on Cape Cod where we could stabilize these animals for longer and keep a few more for the actual rehab, that's a lot less turtles that need to be flown within days of stranding. So there's a real need for the space. And that's my goal is to first stabilize what we have here, address the deferred maintenance, and then do a capital campaign to build.
0: Wow, that's exciting. That'll be great.
1: Yeah. and
0: for those, Thank you. And for those of you, those people that are listening that don't know what cold stun sea turtle season is, um, could you explain that because um, it is coming up and yes. um, tell people what it's about and if they're on the Cape, how they can help.
1: Sure. Coldstone sea turtle season is when uh, the endangered turtles that they, they come up here when the water warms. So um, as the summer is approaching and Cape Cod Bay is getting warmer and warmer and we're all ready to jump in and, and go for a swim, That's that warm temperature that brings the turtles in. And so most likely they come up here in the Gulf Stream. And then during the warm summer months, they pop out of the Gulf Stream and they end up in Cape Cod Bay. There's a lot of good forage. They also end up in Nantucket Sound, probably right here in Buzzards Bay. We have sightings here. Um, But as the water starts to cool, so right now, this time of year, Cape Cod Bay and surrounding waters are becoming cooler these turtles are already experiencing what we call cold stunning, which means hypothermia. So as the water gets cooler and cooler, the days are getting shorter, uh, the turtles start to slow down, and eventually they are full victims of hypothermia. They cannot swim anymore. They float to the surface. Most of these turtles haven't eaten in weeks. So right now here we are October, in, you know, almost mid October, and they're already probably not maintaining the nutrition that they need. And as it gets colder, they'll they'll stop eating altogether. And now they're victim to a whole host of problems: pneumonia, um, both fungal and uh, bacterial pneumonia, injuries because a lot of them are just left floating at the surface until the wind blows them in. And when that starts to happen. Our partner's at the Wellfleet Audubon. So it's Mass Audubon at Wellfleet Bay Wildlife Sanctuary. They're responsible for the actual beach rescue, and they monitor the wind and the currents and the bay temperature, and they send their volunteers out to collect turtles at every high tide. So that's sort of a summary of the. It's a, it's a big deal, the, the uh, cold sun stranding season for sea turtles there's hundreds and hundreds of people involved, everything from the beach rescue at the um, Wellfleet Bay Wildlife Sanctuary to the drivers. We call them the turtle drivers. They're ambulance drivers, essentially. They bring the turtles um, either here to the National Marine Life Center or up to the New England Aquarium. We work with National Marine Fisheries. We work with a group called Turtles Fly 2. And they fly these turtles, after we've stabilized them, they fly them to other organizations uh, as far away as Texas, Louisiana. Um, They will go as far as they need to to reach facilities that are approved for sea turtle rehab, have the experienced teams they need, veterinary care, et cetera, um, and that have NOAA approval. So everybody has to have the proper permits in place. But this this is the type of network that's in place to help save these turtles. Again, they're all endangered or threatened.
0: And so if somebody's walking along the beach and finds a turtle, they should be calling Mass Audubon Wellfleet
1: number. Yeah. Yep. That's a great point. If you find a turtle any time of year, but in particular, we're heading into the high season here, uh, call the Wellfleet Bay Wildlife Sanctuary and they will send out volunteers. And make a note. It, it might be a chilly day. Always make a note exactly where you are or place a marker near that turtle um, in case you're just running out of time and you need to run to work. Um, it, make a note because it's very hard to find. Uh, some of these turtles are the size of a dessert plate. These are tiny, tiny little turtles, some of them. They're the uh, most endangered sea turtle in the world is the Kemp's Ridley. And that is the majority of the turtles that wash ashore here on the Cape. And some of them are quite small. So picture trying to uh, walk down a long mile or a couple miles looking for a dessert plate size uh, animal. So please always remember uh, where you are. Take a a sort of a mental note or call them from the beach and uh, location is everything.
0: And we'll add the phone number at the end of the podcast and we will also post it with the podcast for people who are
1: okay great thank we'll you do
0: that. um and they are usually and then on the outer cape is that where they're mostly found or are they where are they found
1: uh these turtles strand anywhere along inside of the cape so okay. anywhere depends on the wind direction they okay. can strand from sandwich all the way to p-town and again depending on the wind direction uh, we're starting to see more and more turtles actually stand on the South shore. So we've had a number in uh, Situate, Duxbury, um, places like that as well. But you still call uh, the, the Audubon Society at Wellfleet Bay.
0: Okay, great. And I'll add that number at the end. So, okay. So tell us about a day of how to rehabilitate a turtle or a seal. Like what's the day look like for you at the hospital?
1: Uh, a day in the life of a uh, animal care professional here at the National Marine Life Center. <laughs> Um, It depends on the season, obviously. So we're heading into turtle season. um, And we know these turtles are hypothermic. So when they come in, we need to take a body temperature. A lot of these turtles are going to be extremely cold. So for example, we've had turtles come in that are in their 40s. So these are Fahrenheit temperatures. Um, Imagine a human in their 40s. It's not survivable. Um, But these turtles can survive, but it's very important that we warm them slowly. So temperature is essential. Once we get that temperature, if they're below 55, they go up to 55, and then they uh, are raised roughly between 5 or 10 degrees a day, depending on the situation. So a very slow warming. And at the same time, we are doing physical exams, meaning we're, we're taking a heart rate, a temperature. We're looking for injuries. We're checking eyes. Old sun sea turtles tend to have a lot of eye problems, the frostbite, things like that. They also tend to have a lot of injuries. Um, we see uh, flipper uh, fractures, uh, things like that, shell fractures from bolt strikes. Um, so it's not just hypothermic turtles washing in. All of those turtles are washing in, and a lot of them already had pre-existing problems. So um, replacement fluids is essential for these turtles. Again, I mentioned earlier that they haven't eaten in weeks or longer. And so a blood sample is essential, just like if you were in an accident, um, you would go to the hospital, they take your blood. They need to understand what does your blood chemistry um, look like in case things are not right so um, we see this with diabetics their their sugars are off with the cold sun sea turtles it can be very similar but it's a lot of their electrolytes that are off so it's important to balance those and we do that by selecting the appropriate type of fluid replacement that they need and sometimes adding replacements even into that fluid so if their sugars are really low we can bolster the sugars in the fluids that they're getting. So it's really a catered medical plan for each turtle almost. It's pretty labor intensive um, and it's, it's pretty expensive. These are turtles that you know, do not come in with their own healthcare card. So <laughs> every, every uh, treatment that we give them, everything we do with them, uh, we have to raise all those funds to be able to do that work.
0: What's the normal temperature of a turtle?
1: That's a great question. Depends on their environment. So turtles are ectotherms, meaning they are going to take on the temperature of their surroundings. So when I mentioned that we raise them slowly, we raise them over 24-hour periods because they will slowly become the temperature of their surroundings. That's why they get cold sun. They cannot generate metabolic heat like we do. We go running. We start to sweat. You know, that's just not the case with turtles. Depending on where they are, they should be in the high 70s or in the 80s. So when you think about green sea turtles swimming off the Florida Keys in the summertime, those turtles are going to be in really warm water, and that's okay. They're going to be feeding on the seagrasses. They are probably better off in a temperature like that, certainly, than if they're 50 degrees here swimming in Cape Cod Bay in the fall.
0: So your goal is to get them up to... At least seventy, if not eighty, while they're with you. Or how how warm do they have to be to be able to transport to somewhere else?
1: Yeah, we want them a minimum of seventy five before we transport them. And when during rehab, they will stay usually between uh, seventy six to seventy eight degrees. And we we could certainly keep them warmer, but we want to be very careful about that because as they're warming picture all of the I'll call them bugs but the diseases in their lungs things like that are warming as well a lot of those um, diseases and viruses thrive in a warmer the warmer it is the happier they are right so we don't want to warm them too much um so 76 to 78 seems to be an ideal temperature for them to recover and go through their rehabilitation
0: that's great and then where and when do they get released if they're healthy enough
1: They have to get released back into appropriate water temperature. So that's really important. Let's say a turtle comes in in late October uh, and he looks good, maybe just got behind one of those sandbars anywhere (laughs) along the Cape, and the tide receded. But if his x-rays look good, blood work looks good, nutrition is good, weight, all of that, then we want to put that turtle back somewhere that's warm enough. So you wouldn't want to put it back into temperature here. That might be 50 degrees. So we would talk to our colleagues. We would coordinate with NOAA and send that turtle down maybe as far as Virginia or wherever the appropriate warm water is. Now, moving forward, sometimes turtles are ready in January or February, and sometimes there might be 20 turtles ready. And that would spark something called the turtle trek, where we pack up um, climate-controlled SUVs, and it's all planned, and we drive south. We have permits to release. Um, we work with the state of Florida, and uh, we release down there in a warm enough climate so that those turtles don't have to wait to be released here back in on the Cape next summer. That's that's too long. If they're ready to go in January, we, uh, we at least batch them. We make sure there's enough to make that trip worth driving all the way to Florida, because it's expensive, and it's pretty taxing you have to go straight through so you need multiple drivers that alternate and um, so they get released back into uh, an area with water temperature that's appropriate that's warm enough
0: it's amazing to me that there are people that drive turtles and that fly turtles and we just go about our lives and you all are rescuing turtles and getting them to where they need to be to survive
1: yeah, agreed. Uh, it's been really fun sometimes uh, showing up to a, a random airport. Uh, we generally with the Turtles Slide 2, they're they their own nonprofit, and they came on um, in 2014 when we had a huge sea turtle year. And they offered to help actually it was an individual, um, Leslie Weinstein, that offered to help. And then he actually formed Turtles Fly 2 when he realized that the general aviation community would really you know, get behind this effort. And they have, they have been unbelievable. So we will show up to a designated airport at early in the morning with all of these turtles. And it's fun. Business people are getting ready to board a small plane and fly out. And they're always, their minds are blown when they see us show up with a bunch of turtles and we're loading a plane, you know, and the pilots there and every, the airports all know ahead of time. So they're really jazzed. And it's sort of a contagious, energy, you know, all these people trying to save these endangered species. Um, And so it uh, definitely is interesting when you have people going about their business, but they bump into an effort like this with all of this coordination and all of these groups working together to save the species. That's true conservation.
0: Yeah, that's great. And you also said you have seals there. So you want to tell us a day in the life of rehabbing a seal
1: We do get seals here. Um, And yes, that's a little bit trickier because seals are larger and they have teeth. And it's not that a turtle wouldn't bite, but it's a different situation. They have a beak, whereas seals uh, have teeth and they move around a lot differently than the turtles. So uh, when we get a seal patient in, it takes a, a few of us to be able to examine that animal. So you want to make sure somebody's restraining the end with the teeth. So that somebody else can take a blood sample, you know, from either the rear flip or wherever you're going to take it from that individual. So, um, so yeah, it's a little bit more labor intensive to do our seal exams and very similar to the turtle physical exam. You're looking for injuries. You're looking at body weight um, condition, nutritional condition and blood is very important heart rate respiration. So very similar um, diagnostics that we're collecting x-rays as well. Um, and then looking at those, our veterinarians will interpret all of that data and then create a health plan. So then usually from there on in, it's it can be daily treatments. Sometimes if it's that so we see a lot of entanglement. So you've got to treat those injuries daily, um, feeding, water quality, you know, enclosure cleaning, animal record writing. So it, it is a full day uh, to take care of these animals for sure.
0: And Uh, seals do lay on the beaches here um, and just come out and rest. So how can somebody tell the difference between a seal that's just resting versus a seal that's injured as they're on the beaches here?
1: That's a great question. Um, Seals will mask their injuries because they're wild animals and, you know, if you're the weakest of the group, that's that's not a good thing. You're sort of disclosing yourself in that manner and you're more susceptible to predation. So They do mask injury, and it does make it challenging because they come out to rest. So seals are what we call semi-aquatic, meaning they do need to rest. Um, A lot of the adults will often be resting offshore on rocks. You may never see them. So the juveniles aren't quite so savvy, and they will come right up on a beach and lay down. We also have some species that will come right up on a beach and, and rest even if people are walking around. So for example, harp seals and hooded seals. <clears throat> Excuse me. These are seals that come down in the wintertime from the Canadian Maritimes. And they're they're not that used to people. And if you aren't a polar bear, they're primary predators, they don't really see you as a risk. So, you know, if you see a seal laying on the beach and a seagull walking around it, the seal is ignoring the seagull. Very similar with these Arctic species that come down they will be cautious and aware of you, but they may not run back into the water. So, you know, it's it's challenging to understand is an animal just resting or is it injury, injured? And for that, our partners at the International Fund for Animal Welfare, they are actually the beach responders. So we do the rehab, but they will go out and they will look at the seal and we call it a visual assessment. So you want to walk around the seal and you're looking for... Um, very specific signs obviously body posture is really important with seals as is their body condition so are we looking at an emaciated animal a thin animal or a robust animal Um, and then you're looking at the eyes eyes nose oral cavity um sick animals sometimes will have a yellow green crusty um fluid or um i guess kind of fluid but if it's crusty it's not but Around their eyes, um, but a healthy seal will oftentimes just have watery discharge around their eyes. So, seals do not have uh, returned tear ducts. So, you will see some moisture around there. That doesn't mean they're sick. But if it's colored, if it's yellow or green, or that's not a great sign. Still doesn't mean the seal needs to come in for rehab. That may just be something that the seal is fighting off. And, you know, just like humans, we don't go to the hospital every time we get the flu. You might feel bad and you need to rest, but, you know, you don't necessarily need to be in a hospital. So that's the role of the International Fund for Animal Welfare teams. They will go out. They'll do these assessments. And if you're not sure, because sometimes we still can't be sure, something could happen internally. We don't know if the animal swallowed something. Is there a foreign body? You can't always tell then it's the federal government's um, recommendation that you give the animal 24 hours. So you leave it on the beach and you come back the next day and you re-examine it and you go through your checklist again. Is it in the same condition? Is it worse? Is it better? Maybe it's already back in the ocean. Um, And you kind of take it day by day. This gets tricky because some of those Arctic species we just talked about, for example, harp seals, They might be at sea for weeks. So, by the time they get here, they might haul out for two to three days. They don't have to eat every day. They're opportunistic feeders. So, it's not necessarily uncommon if they're here for more than 24 hours. So, that's why you check at 24 hours and then you decide okay, I'm going to check at 12 hours or I'm going to wait another 24 hours. This field looks great. It's fat, it's alert, it's responsive very aware of its surroundings. I don't see any injuries. I don't see any indication of ill health. So then you update it and you come back and you check in 24 hours.
0: And again, that's IFA that does that. So if anybody sees right. the seal, they can just call IFA and let them know. Yeah. Okay. And, I'll, yep. and I will add that phone number for everybody too at the end. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. So we we'll do the sea turtles and the seals. Um we're coming to the close. Is there anything that you want to make sure right. that you talk about that I have not asked you about yet? Anything you want to discuss? Well, it might
1: be helpful to know. Uh, we are in the middle of a matching challenge right now. Okay. We want to make some upgrades to our equipment. And um, technology's come a long way since this marine animal hospital was built. There is a lot of advancements that have been made, even in something as simple as POMP. So there's new uh, pump styles that have been out now for a few years that are highly efficient. They don't generate a lot of heat, um, and they are protected in a very different way from the older style pumps that we currently use, in that some of these pumps, if you take care of them properly, have a 20-year lifespan, and that's not the case with the style. That's just one example, but there's been a lot of uh, technology upgrades. And we would really like to be able to implement some of those here. So we have a matching challenge. It is on our website uh, at at nationalmarinelifecenter.org. So uh, we are just um, working with community members and some local uh, businesses to see if we can promote that a little bit farther and wider so that we can raise the funds necessary to keep doing the work we're doing.
0: And can people visit the center? Or are you still closed because of the
1: pandemic? We are open by appointment only in our discovery center. The hospital is never open to visitors because these are um, sick animals. We uh, we do have a grant application in, though, maybe to, uh, sorry, we have a grant application in to improve the camera system here to a web-based camera system so that people might be able to log in And we could then explain, oh, here's what's going on in this enclosure here. They're doing an exam or this is enrichment time where we put objects in there that they can interact with just to keep them busy. So we are working on that, Um, and eventually, once we make some upgrades, we might be interested in doing some select tours, but right now in the hospital, that's not possible.
0: But you do have the Discovery Center, so people can come and talk to some staff and see what's going on in the center and hear what's happening in the hospital, even though they can't visit the hospital.
1: Correct, yes.
0: Okay, and then they can just sign up for a tour on your website.
1: Yeah, they book this Discovery Center right through the website. Right
0: through the website. Okay. Mm-hmm. Great. Anything else? Well,
1: uh, just thank you for having oh. me. We're we've been very lucky here with a lot of community support for a long time, and um, you know we we want to increase the the conservation work that we do. So you may see us more getting out there and doing some more fundraisers, but. Um, it's all for good.
0: Well, thank you for joining us. I learned so much today and I'm sure the listeners have learned a lot too. So thank you so much. I appreciate it.
1: Thanks for having me. It's been fun.
0: Great. Thanks. Bye. 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 During our conversation today, Connie discussed sea turtle strandings and seals and possible distress sitting on the beach. As we head into cold stunned sea turtle season, If you find a turtle while walking on the beach, call the Massachusetts Audubon Wellfleet Sanctuary at 508-349-2615, extension 6104. If you see a seal on shore, contact the International Fund for Animal Welfare, or IFA, at 508-743-9548. Please keep both numbers in your phone so you too can help animal conservation.